We're in Revelation 14 this morning, and uh, we've been walking through the book of Revelation, and uh, this morning we're in Revelation chapter number 14. Excited to be here today, and uh, looking forward to what the Lord has for us. And uh, I'm excited because my daughter-in-law is actually in labor, so I'm I'm here, all right? But uh, she's in labor, and so uh, I'm excited. Revelation 14. Uh, This week, I read a story this week about uh, Robert Louis Stevenson. And uh, Robert Louis Stevenson wrote Treasure Island. He's the the author uh, from Scotland. And uh, as a child, his father was an engineer. And, uh, and he would build offshore lighthouses up and down the coast of Scotland. And there was a story I read this week about how when he was a little boy, uh, his father brought him uh, to inspect the different lighthouses. And so they got on a boat and went to inspect these lighthouses. And uh, when they were out on the ocean, uh, a storm came up. And it was a massive storm that came up. And so Robert and his father uh, went down below deck, and, uh, and, and, and the winds were howling, the waves were crashing, the rain was coming down, and, and, and Dad, after a moment, he went up onto the deck, and uh, after looking at the captain, he came back down below, and, uh, and, 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 and little Robert was sitting there, and Robert said, Daddy, Daddy, are we going to drown? Daddy, Daddy, are we going to die today? And his daddy said, No, son, it's going to be okay. And little Robert said, well, how do you know it's going to be okay, Daddy? How do you know? And he said, I saw the captain's face, and he was smiling. And, uh, and, and, and you know, sometimes when we're in the midst of a storm, uh, when the days are dark, it's great to be able to catch a glimpse of the captain's face. And as we walk through the book of Revelation, uh, we find ourselves oftentimes in the midst of really, really dark, dark days. In fact, we are in the midst of the tribulation period as we walk through this book. And it's here that we are in, a, in, in, in what's called the midway point. In fact, the latter half of the tribulation is referred to as the Great Tribulation. And so we're in the midst of a dark, dark day where we just need a glimpse, again, of the captain's face. We walk through the seven seals uh, being open, we have heard the sounding of seven trumpets being blown uh, in judgment. In fact, we're still underneath the ringing of the seventh trumpet sound even now. Uh, and, and, and as we walk through this book in, in Revelation chapter number 12, 13, and 14, what happens is right here in the midpoint of the tribulation period, which is a seven-year period that's going to be happening uh, on this planet uh, that we're, we call home, uh, it's going to be taking place one of these days. We don't know when it's going to happen. The church will be raptured. There's going to be a signing of a peace treaty, and, uh, and that begins this seven-year period of, of intense judgment uh, uh, like this planet has never seen before. And, uh, and so we have this interlude that's happening in chapter 12, 13, and 14. Chapter 12, if you remember, we were introduced to some characters in a battle that took place behind, that will one day take place behind the scenes. We're introduced to uh, Israel, if you remember, uh, talking about the woman with child. And, and so we were introduced to the nation of Israel. We were introduced to Satan, who was the red dragon. Uh, we were introduced to Jesus, who was the male child. And then we were introduced to Michael, the archangel, because he was the one that went to battle with Satan. 
and, and, and beat Satan and the dark demons from ever coming into the presence of God, again, banishing them to this planet Earth at that time. And then as we go from chapter number 12 into chapter 13, in chapter 13, uh, it was a dark day on this planet. Uh, uh, we, we, we were introduced to what I would call the Beastly Brothers. We're talking about uh, uh, descriptions being given to the Antichrist as well as to the false prophet. They established, again, a one world, they will establish a one world religion. They will be hunting down uh, Christians around the globe and they established themselves over in the nation of Israel, in Jerusalem, in fact. And, uh, and, and so it's a dark, dark day. And so at the end of chapter number 13, if you are hearing what's happening and if you're seeing these visions, because again, the book of Revelation, remember, is one revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ that includes many visions. And so we have these visions that are happening. At the end of chapter number 13, when the day is extremely, extremely dark, you can't help but ask the question, how could anybody survive? Will anybody survive? that period of time. It's going to be a dark, dark day. So that's the question on the table. The answer is absolutely, positively, yes. There will be those who will survive. Who is going to survive those days? Revelation chapter 14, as the vision continues to unfold for us, he begins by saying, Then I looked... And behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of, of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn the song except the 100 and 44,000 who had been purchased from the earth. Now these are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. Uh, these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Uh, these have been purchased from among men as the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. And then we go on from there. But first of all, we're talking about the saints. And we're talking about the methods of the saints. In other words, the characteristics that they display during that period of time. When you're reading from verse number 1 through verse number 5, there's a couple of questions, two questions in these verses of Scripture that, uh, that <clears throat> uh, we're going to address. And as we address them, uh, understanding this, that sometimes people dis disagree on exactly what we're talking about here. And, uh, and, and I'm going to give you some reasons for those disagreements. But understand this, although we will address two, two today, uh, uh, no matter where you fall on the ultimate interpretation, it does not change the biblical principle being taught in the passage of Scripture one iota. Now here's where we have to be careful. Here's where we have to be careful that we don't miss the forest for the tree. In other words, we try to defend a position rather than saying, hey, what's the word that God has from this text of Scripture? So the first question in this passage of Scripture would be, what Jerusalem, what Zion 
are we talking about in this passage of Scripture? What Zion or Jerusalem are we talking about? Are we talking about the heavenly Zion, in other words, the one in the heavenlies, or the earthly Zion? You say, I didn't know there was two. Well, the Bible gives us a couple of different Zions when you're reading through Scripture. Hebrews chapter number 12, and in verse number 22, the Bible says, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, and the holy Jerusalem, and to myriads of Angels, And if you go on reading through that passage of Scripture in Hebrews, he's talking again about the Jerusalem in the heavenlies, whereas there is an earthly Jerusalem, and it is there that during the millennial kingdom that the Bible teaches in multiple places that Jesus Christ will establish his kingdom, his throne during the millennial kingdom. You say, that's a lot to take in. Here's what we're talking about. At the end of the tribulation period, at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, remember the rapture of the church happens in the beginning, the return happens after the seven-year period. And when Jesus Christ returns, he establishes an earthly kingdom, and it's during that period of time that he establishes his kingdom at Mount Zion in the city of Jerusalem. In fact, the psalmist, and, and again, there's multiple places where you can turn, uh, but the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, the Bible says it like this. Why are the nations in an uproar, and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. And then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy Mountain. I believe that we're talking about the earthly kingdom, the millennial uh, kingdom. I believe that that's what we're talking about. That's what we see happening. The question on the table again can anyone survive this terrible tribulation? Period. Oh yes, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There are 144,000 who will be, have been sealed, and will be standing at the end when the millennial kingdom is established. Now, and then he goes on to talk about these things. Are y'all with me? Just make sure you're with me. <laughs> then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing, verse number 1, on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And so when we walk through these verses of Scripture, let me just pull out a couple of characteristics, the methods. I call it the methods. Some of them are methods. Some are characteristics of these saints. Now, having said that, why are we looking at those things? Because these aren't super saints. They're displaying characteristics that we should be displaying as well. Number one, when you're talking about uh, the methods, one, number one would be they were secured by God. They were secured by God. They do not make it to the end by their own strength. They did not make it to the end because they were conniving. They didn't make it to the end for any reason other than God Almighty sealed them. We were introduced to them. Do you remember back in Revelation chapter number 7? And his seal was given to 144,000, identifying them as people from the Jewish nation, 12,000 from every tribe of the Jews, every tribe of the nation of Israel. That's who these 144,000 are. But they were sealed by God. That's how they were able to make it, teaching us one of the greatest biblical truths uh, uh, of all time, and that would be the assurance of our salvation. Do you know that just as they were sealed, so too are you. If you are saved today, you were sealed by 
the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 1 and in verse number 13, Ephesians 1 verse 13, In Him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. The assurance of our salvation. Do you understand this morning that your eternal security is not dependent upon your performance? In other words, when you're talking about the assurance of my salvation, that means sometimes we say, well, once saved, always saved. Absolutely, but make sure you're saved if you're making that statement. But my, but my security, my eternality is not dependent upon my performance. I was saved by grace. I'm kept by grace. I'll be carried home by God's grace. If you notice, he says there was 144,000. There was 144,000 that were sealed in the beginning, and 144,000 made it to the end. It didn't say 143,999. But Sammy didn't make it because he screwed up one time too many. He didn't say that. He said they were sealed, and therefore they were secured. And it was completely dependent, not upon their own performance. Hey, but on the power of God and on His finished work and on the truthfulness of His Word. Now, I can rest in that. <laughs> I can rest in that. The assurance. Number two, the Bible says not only were they secured, but they sang a new song, and it is an incredible song. In fact, when you're reading from verse number two and three, it says, And I heard a voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of, of, of loud thunder, and the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And then they sang a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. You know what's incredible is when you're thinking about what's happened in the lives of these 144,000. They just endured a time where they were literally hunted by hell's hound dogs for seven years. They endured great persecution such as never has been endured before on this planet. And yet at the end, they were singing praises too the Lord. You know, the Bible says over in Psalm 30, over in Psalm chapter number 30, it says it like this, uh, verses number one through five. The Bible says, <clears throat> I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive, and I would not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, for his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Aren't you thankful that God gives songs in the night? You know what's interesting is when you're talking about these saints, do you know the saints of God have a lot to sing about? I mean, we've got a lot to sing about. He is worthy of my praise. In the good times, he's worthy. In the bad times, he's worthy. He's always worthy of my praise. The songs that we sing to Jesus Christ. Interesting, when you look at these saints who are singing, one day, guess what? I believe this with all of my heart. I believe that we're going to be there. Whoever's saved in this building is going to be there to be able to hear them sing their song of deliverance to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But the Bible says nobody else is going to be able to learn that song. It's interesting, isn't it? 
You know what he's saying there? When I first thought, I was like, what, what are they going to do? Sing in a foreign language and nobody understands it? And, and, and that's, not, that's not it. They're just going to sing a song that they experience that resonates with their heart, that they understand the words they're singing. Do you know that not everybody, hey, anybody can, can, anybody can learn words to a song, but sometimes you can learn the words to a song without knowing the song. I mean, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people that say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Hey, but only the saved know what they're talking about. Only the saved know that song. You see, these saints are going to have a song that God gives to them that they're going to be able to sing praise and worship because of what he did during a period that you and I know nothing about. They're going to sing a new song. Why? Because he is worthy. They were sacred unto the Lord. They were set apart unto the Lord. Verse number four goes on, says, These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes, and it goes on from there. But the, but the phrase in, in verse number four, verse number letter A, I put it letter A, these are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. Are you saying that uh, uh, women will mess you up? No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Nor are we saying that God's against marriage. Because some people say, well, th th does that mean that, for example, does that mean that all 144,000 of these Jewish people were men? Uh, to which I would say, well, that's definitely a possibility. I don't know whether uh, where I fall or not on this one. In fact, I'm not even going to give you the answer where I fall on this because I really don't know where to fall on this. It might be that there's 144,000 men. But it also might be, in other words, men who are saying, hey, I will, I will not, I will not give in to the one world religion that's plagued with sexual perversion because when you look at, again, and read on in the book of Revelation, you're talking about a religion that's, that, that, that God Almighty recognizes and says, she's the harlot. And so he's saying, hey, whether it be 144,000 men that don't give themselves to sexual perversion because they're set apart unto myself, or whether he's talking symbolically and just simply saying, hey, these are the ones who have not given themselves over to the harlots. They've remained pure. They've remained faithful to me. They are my bride. And God desires that among his people, does he not? He doesn't want us to harlot ourselves. He wants us to be set apart. He says, be holy as I am holy. And he's saying, these were holy. These were chaste. These were set apart. The Bible says over in the book of Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, it says it like this. In chapter number 11, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 2. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Be holy as I am holy. God help us to be holy. Not only were they sacred, they were submissive to the Lord. It goes on to say these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Submissive to God's way. Talking about fellowship. In fact, the Bible says in Luke chapter number 9 and in verse number 23, whoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. We're talking about lordship, surrendering to the lordship of God Almighty, such that the theme song of them will simply be, wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I will go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, 
I will go. That's their theme song. And God help us recognize He has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. And may that be the song of our hearts. Not only are they submissive, <clears throat> whenever verse number 4, it goes on and it says this, These have been purchased from among men as the firstfruits to God and as the Lamb. Uh, the first fruits, the Feast of first fruits, is found in the Old Testament. In other words, the farmers would go. And it was a time in the nation of Israel when they would take uh, one stalk, one sheave of their grain, and bring it into the presence of the Lord as a first fruit offering, recognizing, hey, the rest of the harvest belongs to you, and we praise you, God, for the harvest. And these 144,000 are just the beginning of those who are saved during that tribulation period. God uses them to bring many, many souls to salvation during the period of the tribulation. If you go back and read, it's interesting what happens during these days. Now, having said that, again, during these days, people that get saved will be hunted down and killed for the cause of Jesus Christ. But he says, be faithful to the end. So verse 4 comes to an end. Verse 5, and no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. Uh, they are blameless. In other words, they speak for God. Blameless. Hey, they're blameless, not sinless, but they were true to his word. In other words, hey, uh, I know that the world longs for a message that they want to hear, but God gives us a message that they need to hear. He says, these saints of God, these saints of God recognized, hey, I need to be faithful to the word of God. I'm speaking for God. Therefore, therefore, let me just simply say, thus saith the Lord. And a lot of times, in fact, we're living in a day uh, when I believe that the nations are in desperate, desperate need to hear the children of God be faithful to the word of God and just say, hey, thus saith the Lord. And not, and not say, hey, I, I want to give you something that maybe uh, 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 you'll stay here for. In fact, there's so many people that oftentimes what we're trying to do is, is play political games with the Word of God and say, man, how is this going to fit into our political arena? Well, here's the deal. It doesn't need to fit there. We just need to be biblically correct and let God be God. The Word of God, the Bible says it's, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And sometimes, in fact, this morning we were having prayer time, and sometimes the Word of God is used to cut. Hey, but when the Word of God cuts, there's healing from the Holy Spirit. But if we refuse to allow the Word of God to cut, there's no healing. And so God help us be true again to His Word. We're living in a day when the world desperately, desperately needs to hear from us. You know, as we're reading through this passage of Scripture, at the close of chapter 3, we see the Antichrist and the false prophet wreaking havoc. Jerusalem, Mount Zion. I believe the question that's addressed as we enter into chapter 14 is, who, who can possibly survive? And God gives a glimpse of his goodness and says, I got people that's going to make it. I've got people that's going to make it. Now, <clears throat> at the end of verse 5, I think there's another question to be asked, and that would be, what I just saw was the false prophet and the Antichrist wreaking havoc 
And then in the same location, in the same location, on Mount Zion, in the, in the holy city, the city of Jerusalem, now I'm, I, now I'm seeing a worship service in the same spot. What happened? Here's what happened. Here, here's how we got from chapter 13 to the beginning of chapter 14. He says, there was some angels that God Almighty sent. Verse number 6, And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth, and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and springs of waters. And another angel, a second one, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Verse number 9, Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in the image and receives a mark on his forehead and on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and forever. They will have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here's the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. The message from the angels. And in verse number 6 and verse number 7, we have the invitation message being given from angels. We have an invitation message being given from angels. I believe that the reason for the angels coming is simply because it is not God's will. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter number 3 and in verse number 9, it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all may have everlasting life. This is the first time in history, first time in the history of humanity we have a major change happen on this planet. First time in history when God Almighty sends His angels to go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They go and they carry the gospel, giving an invitation to whoever so has ears. Let him hear what they say to the invitation. And so we have the angels sharing the gospel. He, he, he doesn't use the angels today. He uses, we are the messengers. You and I, if you are saved, we have tasted his grace. And he says, you are my messengers. You be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. You be my witnesses. I can't help but wonder if the angels think, why the reluctance in carrying the greatest news on the planet? Why isn't God's people who are entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ carrying that into the world? I mean, there's so many people say, well, I hadn't been trained. You got a relationship? You're not trained on how to talk about the Seminoles. By the way, the Seminole baseball team's undefeated right now. <laughs> in case you're wondering. But we talk about those things. Why? Because we love those things. We enjoy those things. And the question has to be asked. Why? The reluctance and carrying the invitation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The angels have the opportunity to carry 
the gospel message. Some people look at this and they say, oh, that's a different gospel. It's not a different gospel. There's only one true gospel. In fact, the Apostle Paul says it in Galatians chapter number 1 and in verse number 8. Galatians chapter number 1, verse number 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed, damned to hell. Don't let anybody tell you that there's another way to be saved. Don't ever let anybody say, hey, you're not saved by grace alone. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith. It's not by my works, lest anyone should boast. Therefore, there is no such thing as a purgatory. There is no such thing as paying penance for my salvation. Either the blood of Jesus Christ was enough to cover my sin, or it wasn't. And the Bible teaches that it is enough. <laughs> that he paid the price in full. Your payment for your sin debt has been completely paid by Jesus Christ. We can rest in that. We bank on that. That is the assurance. That's why we can have assurance. Good night. Imagine thinking that, man, maybe it wasn't enough. Maybe I need to pay the tip on the bill. No, there's no such thing as a tip on the bill. It's been paid completely. Aren't you thankful? And so they're given an invitation. But then after the angel with the invitation comes, then we have a declaration against the rest of humanity. The Bible goes on and it says the second angel came along. And the Bible says in verse number 8, uh, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Uh, she who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And, and Babylon, when you're talking about Babylon, it's representing uh, the worldwide religion that's been established again by the false prophet. Now we're going to go in a couple of weeks and we're going to be covering Babylon in chapter number 17 and 18. So this morning we're not going to go there, but just simply saying, hey, listen, the worldwide religion that's been established will be crushed, will be completely finished and destroyed. And so there's an angel that comes and says, hey, let me tell you something. If you are trusting in this other religion, if you are trusting in another way, it's worthless. It's not going to carry you through. It's not going to deliver. It won't deliver. The third angel comes, and he's carrying this message. Do you see what he says from verse number 9? Through verse number 11, he says, hey, whoever's rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, I call this the destination message. Why? Because he's saying, hey, your decision about Jesus Christ, your decision with the gospel of Jesus Christ will determine your destination. If you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you reject the payment that Jesus Christ paid for your sin on the cross. And you say, oh, I know that that was wonderful, but man, let me tell you something. I'm really not that bad, and I think I can just be good enough. In other words, God's not going to send a good person to hell. Absolutely, he will send you to hell. He's not going to send you to hell, but your sin sends you to hell. And he says, you know what? Here's the deal about hell. Hell is for real. Hell is a literal place that's really hot, and it will be forever and forever and forever and forever. There's no such thing as annihilation. You will live forever and forever in one place or another. It will either be heaven or hell. And he says, hell is hot. 
Hell is separated from the presence of God. You'll never, you will never, ever be able to possibly imagine the desperate cries from hell. I was thinking about this passage of Scripture today and the reality of heaven and hell. And there's so many that want to put it off and pretend like it doesn't exist, to put it off and pretend like, oh, I'm, I'm not that bad. I mean, I'm not a follower of Jesus Christ, but I'm not that bad. If you, if, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, literally, literally, you're one heartbeat away from an eternal hell. It's where you are. Verse 10, he also will drink of the wine with the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of the torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast in his image, whoever receives the mark of his name, Here's the perseverance of the saints. He goes in verse number 12. It says, oh, there's a destination for those that have rejected Jesus and His grace. It's forever hell. Hey, but and I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they may rest from their labors and the deeds that follow them forever in the presence of God Almighty. <clears throat> So the angels come with the message. How, how did we, how did we shift, how did we shift in Zion, in Jerusalem, from a place where the Antichrist and the false prophet are wreaking havoc to a place where there's a worship service? The angels came and brought announcements, and then there was the final reaping that took place the final reaping that took place. And that's the reason why the 144,000 are there in Jerusalem. What's the reaping? The Bible says in verse number 14, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. And then it goes on into verse number 7. But here from verse number 14 until verse number 20, we have the reapers. And he talks about the reaping of the grain first, and then he talks about the reaping of the grapes second. And he's just saying, hey, there's going to be a judgment day coming. Judgment day. There's a reaping to take place. And when the Word of God talks about reaping, sometimes it's reaping for joy. <laughs> People get saved. 
That's not the case here. We're talking about a reaping of judgment, a reaping of, in fact, final judgment. <clears throat> the Bible describes it in Joel chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Joel chapter number 3, verses 12 and 13. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations, put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come tread, for the wine press is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Daniel chapter 7 describes Jesus himself as coming. Verses number 13 and 14. And I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. <clears throat> Verses 14 through 16 <clears throat> is a reference again to the reaping that will take place when the seven bowls of judgment are poured out. And we're going to go there. We're going to go there in chapter 16. We're getting ready to go there. In other words, here he's just simply saying, hey, judgment day has arrived. And there's going to be seven bowls of judgment that are poured out on this planet. And we're going to go and, and, and talk about those seven bowls of judgment. But in rapid succession, all of a sudden, the armies will gather against the Lord. And we go into what we know as the Battle of Armageddon. And the Battle of Armageddon is described here in verse 17 and following as the judgment of the grapes. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, the one who has power uh, over fire, came out from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to him who had a sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters for the vine of the earth because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress <clears throat> of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. It's a reference again to the final battle of Armageddon. And after the final battle of Armageddon, Jesus Christ establishes His earthly kingdom. We're going to, as we move forward, He's simply saying, hey, here's what happens in the end. So I'm sure it leads to another question. What are you talking about? And so as we move forward, we'll have the answer. What are the seven bowls of judgment? The reaping, the reaping of the grain. What does it look like? And we're going to go there as we move forward. But at the end of the day, he's just simply saying, hey, Jesus wins. Jesus, he wins. There will be a bloodbath such as never been experienced on this planet but at the end of the day, Jesus wins. The question for us today is simply this. 
Whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? So I don't know, I'm somewhere in the middle. No, you're not in the middle. The Bible doesn't give that option. There's only two options. I'm either a friend of God or an enemy of God. I'm either with God or I'm with Satan. Who are you with today? Who are you with? I'm telling you, man, I'm with the winner. <laughs> I'm with Jesus. Who are you with? And today, if you're not with him, I want to invite you to come to him. You come to him today. Would you do me a favor and join me for a time of prayer this morning? We're going to pray, and after we pray, we'll sing a song. And after that song, we're going to be down front this morning and just waiting for you. Maybe you're here today and you would say, hey, you know, I've, I've never <laughs> been saved. Man, it's not about going to church and being religious. It's about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Our sin separates us from God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Hey, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came into this world not to condemn us of our sin, but to save us. But to save us. And he went and he laid down his life on the cross shedding his blood, because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so the question's got to be asked, if you've never called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and said, oh, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. Who or what are you trusting in? Because the Bible clearly teaches our life is just a vapor. And it will end. And once it's over, we will spend an eternity either with King Jesus in heaven or forever separated in a place called hell. So where are you today? Where are you? Hey, won't you come today? The Bible says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come so that you might have life. Come to life today. <laughs> come. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness to us. God, thank you for the assurance of our salvation, knowing, God, that you have sealed us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Nothing can separate us from your great love. Oh, God, thank you for the assurance. Lord, today I pray that you would search our hearts, that you would have your way in this moment. Oh, God, we love you. And we thank you for today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.